We are glad that you're here. And as was stated, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, says there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. In the lesson this morning, we want to focus on the book of Proverbs, and we want to look at four things that are specifically said to spread strife. Since we noticed that was the focus of that text, and last week we talked about the importance of unity and the importance of the word for unity, what are some things that spread strife? Well, look at Proverbs 10 as an example. Now, some of these, some of these will differ in Hebrew vocabulary as far as the words used uh, for the verbs and for the nouns, uh, but, but they all have this idea, generally translated this way. I know, too, in Proverbs, the translation varies at points because you don't have much context by which to translate it. But in Proverbs 10, in verse 12, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers a multitude of sins. Or love covers all transgressions is actually the way the New American Standard quotes that. Now the word for strife here is the same word as 6 verse 19. The one who stirs up strife among brothers. word for strife is the same. Notice the antithetical parallelism. And by that, I mean the first part of that verse tells us what hatred does, and the last part of the verse tells us what the opposite, love, does. Hatred stirs up strife. In contrast to that, love covers a multitude of sins. We know that hatred causes us to often put another under the microscope to examine faults, to look carefully for all transgressions. And things are not tolerated with them that would be tolerated with those that we love. That would be tolerated with those we love. Hatred stirs up strife but in contrast to that, love covers all sin. What does covering all sin mean? It is not a statement to us about the lack of seriousness of sin. But I love this passage in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, in verses 1 and 2, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. 
How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That context, Psalm 32, which is synonymous parallelism, transgression being forgiven is parallel with sin being covered. The idea of hatred stirring up strife is hatred is looking for faults, it is looking for troubles, it is investigating someone's weak point and looking to broadcast that. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins in that there is a willingness to forgive. There is a willingness to receive the one who repents. We recently talked about Matthew 18, about the man who came before the king with a debt of 10,000 talents. And when he came before the king with this debt of 10,000 talents, the text tells us that the king says, sell his wife and children and let repayment be made. He fell down and said, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. But the master of that slave felt compassion for him and forgave all that debt. But the man who was forgiven such a debt refused to forgive the one who owed him 100 denarii. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgression. Now, this passage is quoted or mentioned in 1 Peter 4 verse 8 when the Bible says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. A statement I want to camp on, though, a little bit is in James 5, where James 5 seems to echo this language. James 5, verses 19 and 20. And among the studies this week, Lord willing, a study on Psalm 89 on Tuesday night, Micah and Heather said they're studying James on Thursday night. But in James 5, verses 19 and 20, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who returns a sinner from the era of his way will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. When someone seeks the lost, seeks to bring back to repentance an erring brother, or seeks to convert a non Christian, 
They are demonstrating a great example of what love covering a multitude of sins means. If you lead a soul back, you lead a soul back from the era of his way, you save a sinner, you save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. A true story from New Testament Christians in the area of central or southern Kentucky from the early to the mid-1980s. There was a family, a young Christian family with a child. whose child, whose son, was killed in a car crash by a drunken driver. The family felt overwhelmed at their loss. Every court hearing, every court date this drunken driver had. They showed up for. Until finally the husband realized my hatred, our hatred, is consuming us. I'm going to go and I'm going to offer him a chance to study the Bible. He did this. To his surprise, the person said, yes, I'll study the Bible. As the studies continued to progress, the person was receptive and listening. Eventually, he was baptized into Christ. He served his time in prison. He had nowhere to go. He was received in the family. The family who had lost their son at his hands as a drunk driver. Love covers a multitude of sins. I also share as a footnote. A couple of weeks ago, I believe it was uh, Brian and Jill Harris who mentioned, who sent this out of a man who was killed at the Truth Lectures in Athens, Alabama, a 36-year-old man. The driver was not drunk, but the driver was at fault, the driver who killed him. 
he had run a red light, and two preachers went to go and talk with him. The man was broken. The man was distraught. I do not know the ending to that story. But they are seeking to bring good out of a horrible disaster. They're seeking to let love cover a multitude of sins. Look back at Proverbs 10, 12. Look back at Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Now, one of the things in studying Proverbs, and in Proverbs, it's, context means less than any book of the Bible. But look at key phrases, look at key ideas, and look at that love covers all transgressions. And I want you to see another kind of idea like this. Look at 17 verse 9. Proverbs 17 in verse 9. The Bible says, he who covers a transgression seeks love. But this is also a statement of antithetical parallelism. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. So in contrast to covering a transgression, is continuing to talk about it. Continuing to repeat it. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. So often in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs warns us that our words, that our gossip, that our slander can cause great difficulty. Look at chapter 16, just across the page probably. Chapter 16, verses 27 and 28. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Now, those are closer, verse 27 synonymous, verse 28 synonymous, but the worthless person digs up evil. That's our word from Proverbs, our word from 1 Samuel, sons of Belial or sons of Belial. A worthless man digs up evil while his lips are a scorching fire. And the opposite picture is given in 28. A perverse man spreads strife. Well, how is he perverse? He is a slanderer who separates intimate friends. He can separate the closest of relationships and sever the most long-lasting of ties. So it spreads strife if we're slanderers. Look at Proverbs 26 for the same idea. Look at 
Proverbs 26, in verse 20 through 22, is what we want to read. The lack of, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. For lack of wood... The fire goes out. If you don't keep the fire burning, if you don't keep fueling the fire, the fire is going to die out. For lack of fire, lack of wood, the fire dies out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Often troubles can stop just by stopping talking. About them. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, contention quiets down. But just like a charcoal to hot embers, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Now we all know that, don't we? But this is the problem. Verse 22. Verse 22 also appears in Proverbs 18, verse 8. Many of these Proverbs appear almost verbatim or verbatim a couple of times, and that shows us how important they are. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. When someone tells something scandalous about a person, those words are way too often fun to hear and easy to digest. It is more tempting. It is more tempting than the most delicious dessert. And when we take it in our body, it goes to the innermost parts of the body. What that tells us, it can change how we look at the object of gossip forever. Now, I'm not sure. I have always struggled with how... You define what gossip is. But I will say this. That I am quite confident that for most of us, the definition of gossip differs on whether we are speaking or whether we're the ones spoken about. I imagine that's true of most everyone. The 
The following story is again true. There will some of you, there will be some of you who will know exactly who this happened to. But the names have been changed in order to protect the people. I got this, and I'm largely reading from a story that's about to come out in a workbook that my son Nathan has been publishing on the subject of gossip or one that he's been writing. In their dorm room of Susan and Anna, other girls would often come in and visit and talk. And one day, they decided what they were going to do is to have Susan hide in the closet. And when Anna got back from her class, the other girls were going to come in. And they were going to start running. Running Susan down. Now forgive me if I have to keep looking down because I'm trying to stick to those names. And I'm getting confused who's Susan and who's Anna. Okay. Susan is hiding in the closet. Anna is coming in. The other girls are going to all start gossiping and running uh, Susan down. And they're just going to wait for Anna to start running her down too. And then she's going to pop out of the closet and say, look what happened. Here I was here all the time. I heard all that. And they thought that would be funny. Anna comes back a few minutes later from a class. Susan is hid in a closet. The girls come in, and after saying a few things, they start lambasting Susan and critical of her and running her down. At first, Anna simply tried to ignore them. And go about cleaning the room or acting like she was busy with other things. And finally, as every one of them said, aren't you going to join in this? Aren't you going to add to this? She said, no. She is my friend. And I don't understand why you're doing this. At that moment, she came out of the closet in tears and was to say that event showed me what a true friend she was, and it began to change my heart.
Love covers transgression. But he who seeks to repeat a matter separates intimate friends. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 18. We have seen that hatred stirs up strife. Gossip stirs up strife. And in Proverbs 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But the slow to anger pacifies contention. Again, this is antithetical parallelism. The slow to anger pacifies contention. In Proverbs 29, verse 22, the same thing. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. And there are a couple of passages, just as that passage tells us that being hot-tempered can stir up a controversy. So the Bible exalts, Proverbs exalts the value of one who is slow to anger. In uh, Proverbs 14 verse 19, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, the Bible says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now, we know there is such a thing as righteous anger. In Exodus 32, Moses' anger burned in verse 10, 11, and 12. And then when, or God's anger burned in Exodus 32, 10, 11, and 12. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he throws down the tablets of stone. That is not an uncontrollable fit of temper. Moses is representing God's anger at the broken covenant as he hurls down those tablets of stone. And Jesus in Mark 3, 5, and Mark 10, 14, shows righteous indignation. It is not in and of itself wrong, but it does give the devil an opportunity. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. It cannot be cherished. It cannot be held on to, or it will involve us in sin. What makes us angry? How do we deal with it? How long do we hold on to it? The Bible says in James 1, we're, we're going to come back to this verse, so let's look at this. I know it's a verse that you know. James 1, verses 19 and 20. There's a reason we're going to come back to it in just a moment. 
But he says, this you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many times is God described in Scripture as slow to anger? It's a passage we'll come back to. But the fourth thing particularly said in Proverbs that can stir up strife is arrogance. Look at Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26. Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says here, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. And notice that contrast. I think that's striking. The arrogant person is contrasted with who? He is contrasted with the one who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. An arrogant person stirs up strife. But he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Then, verse 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Trusting in the Lord, in verse 25, is contrasted with trusting in one's own heart, in verse 26. The arrogant man of verse 25 stirs up strife, but the one who walks wisely at the end of verse 26 is delivered. I, I, I'm not, I kind of tend to think as I remember, some of you may have to refresh my statement exactly how he said it, but I'm, I'm not so sure that C.S. Lewis wasn't right when he said, pride is the root of all sin. Uh, pride is often the root of our ingratitude in Romans 1. And uh, it's, it's just ingratitude. It's, it's the root of most everything. Now, one of the reasons I said I wanted to tie this with James. You know, some have suggested that when we are quick to hear in James 1.19, that that's not just a generic admonition that you need to listen more than you speak. And there are questions about this. It's, it's, it's difficult to determine with certainty. 
But it's not just a statement about we need to be quicker to hear than we are to speak, but it's particularly talking about us being quicker to hear God's voice. Now, as evidence for that, look at verse 21 of James 1. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. There's a mention of the word that's able to save our soul in verse 21. There is a mention in verse 18 of the word of truth that we would be, as it were, first fruits among his creatures. So there's a reference to the word of God in verse 18, and there's a reference to the word of God in verse 21. And it could be that this reference that we are swift to hear is particularly for our willingness to listen to God's word and the very practice of listening to the word of one who is greater than us, one who holds our life in his hand and we seek to humble ourselves before him and say as Samuel did, speak Lord for your servant is listening. The point of humbling ourselves before God like that is that is a great lesson in humility every time we open the text. Every time we listen to a scripture read. God is king. What God says is not up for debate. He speaks and we bow. And as we develop that attitude, that attitude of hum, humbling ourselves before the Lord, trembling before his word, as Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, as we develop that attitude, it makes us avoid the arrogant spirit, the spirit of diatrophies, who in 3 John 9 and 10 had to be first. And if he wasn't, he was not going to receive the apostles nor allow those who did to be a part of the church. And John says, when I come, I will call attention to his deeds. I know it's foolish that any of us even wrestles with pride. But we all do. And friend, I am well aware. And one of the great things about difficulties is they can build in us humility. Because we don't have all the answers. And I know how easy it is for the most insignificant of successes to puff us up. I use the illustration a lot of times of when the boys were 
playing baseball at 11 and 12, and I found myself their coach. And every team we played was right there in our little town, our little godly town where we didn't even play games on Wednesday nights where everybody can go to church. And, and every team we played was against our little town, and we played every team about four times, and we wore each other out, and we knew what every player could do on every team. But, but, but the first of the season, uh, our first game actually was against a team from out of town. But thankfully for me, Thankfully for me, they had a game right there in our town with another team in town uh, before their game with us. So I went, being the diligent coach that I was, I went and scouted them and scouted them thoroughly. And uh, they had good hitters. They had right-handed hitters. Hit the ball a little late, hit the ball in the direction of right center. But they could wear the cover out on the ball. And so, ingeniously, I came up with a plan. Instead of putting my best fielder in the infield, as is typically done in those age, ages, I put him in center. And I said, I want you to shade yourself to right center. And they're going to hit that ball in the right, the center, right center area. And when they do, you go after it and you get in the air and you do that. And we're going to win this game. On cue, the first hitter got up, lined the ball in the right center. It was the kind of ball that is not caught in those age, that age group in the outfield. It's never caught in the outfield. Our center fielder did exactly what I said. He took a couple of steps over. He snatched it out of the air. The umpire shouts one out. I look at the coaches and they, those other coaches and they think, who are we playing? And I think to myself, you're a genius. You are a genius. The rest of the game, they hit the ball to straight left <laughs> and straight right over the fence and between the shortstop's legs. That was one of my sons. They hit it everywhere except right center. Now, what does that story prove? It just shows you, I know, how easy it is at the smallest thing to think that we are something. I told you that was the first game. I continued to work with those boys, shape them and mold them. By the end of the year, we were four and seven. So, I mean, that was a pr pretty dramatic. We only lost twice as many as we won. One day, we will all pass away. One day, we will all stand in judgment 
but for the God who made us. The God who spoke the world into existence. The God who has always been and who always will be. The God of intense holiness and deep love. Before him, there is no ground for pride. If we let arrogance creep into our heart, we are only giving a visible display that we are comparing ourselves too much with one another and not enough with him because before him we all bow our faces and beg God be merciful to me the sinner the Lord loves you the Lord wants you to be saved the Lord wants to cover a multitude of sins. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you're willing to turn from your sins in repentance, if you're willing to be baptized in Christ for remission of sins, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.